Chapter Eleven of the Scottish Fairy Book by Elizabeth W. Grierson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Habitrot the Spinstress. In bygone days, in an old farmhouse which stood by a river, there lived a beautiful girl called Maisie. She was tall and straight, with auburn hair and blue eyes, and she was the prettiest girl in all the valley, and one would have thought that she would have been the pride of her mother's heart. But instead of this, her mother used to sigh and shake her head whenever she looked at her. And why? Because in those days all men were sensible, and instead of looking out for pretty girls to be their wives, they looked out for girls who could cook and spin, and who gave promise of becoming notable housewives. Maisie's mother had been an industrious spinner, but alas, to her sore grief and disappointment, her daughter did not take after her. The girl loved to be out of doors chasing butterflies and plucking wildflowers, far better than sitting at her spinning wheel. So when her mother saw one after another of Maisie's companions, who were not nearly so pretty as she was, getting rich husbands, she sighed and said, "'Woe's me, child, for methinks no brave wooer will ever pause at our door while they see thee so idle and thoughtless.' But Maisie only laughed. At last her mother grew really angry, and one bright spring morning she laid down three heads of lint on the table, saying sharply, "'I will have no more of this dallion. People will say that it is my blame that no wooer comes to seek thee. I cannot have thee left on my hands to be laughed at as the idle maid who would not marry. So now thou must work, and if thou hast not these heads of lint spun into seven hanks of thread in three days—' I will e'en speak to the mother at St. Mary's convent, and thou wilt go there and learn to be a nun. Now, though Maisie was an idle girl, she had no wish to be shut up in a nunnery, so she tried not to think of the sunshine outside, but sat down soberly with her distaff. But alas, she was so little accustomed to work that she made but slow progress, and although she sat at the spinning wheel all day and never once went out of doors, she found at night that she had only spun half a hank of yarn. The next day it was even worse, for her arms ached so much she could only work very slowly. That night she cried herself to sleep, and next morning, seeing that it was quite hopeless to expect to get her task finished, she threw down her distaff in despair and ran out of doors. Near the house was a deep dell through which ran a tiny stream. Maisie loved this dell. The flowers grew so abundantly there. This morning she ran down to the edge of the stream and seated herself on a large stone. It was a glorious morning. The hazel trees were newly covered with leaves, and the branches nodded over her head and showed like delicate tracery against the blue sky. The primroses and sweet-scented violets peeped out from among the grass and a little water wagtail came and perched on a stone in the middle of the stream and bobbed up and down till it seemed as if he were nodding to Maisie, and as if he were trying to say to her, Never mind, cheer up! But the poor girl was in no mood that morning to enjoy the flowers and the birds. Instead of watching them as she generally did, she hid her face in her hands and wondered what would become of her. She rocked herself to and fro as she thought how terrible it would be if her mother fulfilled her threat and shut her up in the convent of St. Mary, 
with the grave, solemn-faced sisters who seemed as if they had completely forgotten what it was like to be young and run about in the sunshine and laugh and pick the fresh spring flowers. "'Oh, I could not do it! I could not do it!' she cried at last. "'It will kill me! It would kill me to be a nun!' "'And who wants to make a pretty wench like thee into a nun?' asked a queer, cracked voice quite close to her. Maisie jumped up and stood staring in front of her, as if she had been moonstruck, for just across the stream from where she had been sitting there was a curious boulder with a round hole in the middle of it, for all the world like a big apple with the core taken out. Maisie knew it well. She had often sat upon it and wondered how the funny hole came to be there. It was no wonder that she stared, for seated on this stone was the queerest little old woman that she had ever seen in her life. Indeed, had it not been for her silver hair and the white mutch with the big frill that she wore on her head, Maisie would have taken her for a little girl. She wore such a very short skirt only reaching down to her knees. Her face inside the frill of her cap was round and her cheeks were rosy, and she had little black eyes which twinkled merrily as she looked at the startled maiden. On her shoulders was a black-and-white checked shawl, and on her legs, which she dangled over the edge of the boulder, she wore black silk stockings and the neatest little shoes with great silver buckles. In fact, she would have been quite a pretty old lady had it not been for her lips, which were very long and very thick, and made her look quite ugly in spite of her rosy cheeks and black eyes. Maisie stood and looked at her for such a long time in silence that she repeated her question. "'And who wants to make a pretty wench like thee into a nun? More likely that some gallant gentleman should want to make a bride of thee.' "'Oh, no,' answered Maisie. "'My mother says no gentleman would look at me, because I cannot spin.' "'Nonsense,' said the tiny woman. "'Spinning is all very well for old folks like me. My lips, as thou seest, are long and ugly, because I have spun so much.' for I always wet my fingers with them the easier to draw the thread from the distaff. No, no, take care of thy beauty, child. Do not waste it over the spinning-wheel, nor yet in a nunnery. If my mother only thought as thou dost, replied the girl sadly, and encouraged by the old woman's kindly face, she told her the whole story. Well, said the old dame, I do not like to see pretty girls weep. What if I were able to help thee, and spin the lint for thee? Maisie thought that this offer was too good to be true, but her new friend bade her run home and fetch the lint, and I need not tell you that she required no second bidding. When she returned, she handed the bundle to the little lady, and was about to ask her where she should meet her in order to get the thread from her when it was spun, when a sudden noise behind her made her look round. She saw nothing but what was her horror and surprise when she turned back again to find that the old woman had vanished entirely, lint and all. She rubbed her eyes and looked all round, but she was nowhere to be seen. The girl was utterly bewildered. She wondered if she could have been dreaming, but no, that could not be. There were her footprints leading up to the bank and down again, where she had gone for the lint and brought it back, and there was the mark of her foot wet with dew on a stone in the middle of the stream where she had stood when she had handed the lint up to the mysterious little stranger. What was she to do now? 
What would her mother say when, in addition to not having finished the task that had been given her, she had to confess to having lost the greater part of the lint also? She ran up and down the little dell, hunting amongst the bushes and peeping into every nook and cranny of the bank where the old woman might have hidden herself. It was all in vain, and at last, tired out with the search, she sat down on the stone once more, and presently fell fast asleep. When she awoke it was evening. The sun had set, and the yellow glow on the western horizon was fast giving place to the silvery light of the moon. She was sitting, thinking of the curious events of the day, and gazing at the great boulder opposite, when it seemed to her as if a distant murmur of voices came from it. With one bound she crossed the stream and clambered on to the stone. She was right. Someone was talking underneath it, far down in the ground. She put her ear close to the stone and listened. The voice of the queer little old woman came up through the hole. Ho, ho, my pretty little wench, little knows that my name is Habitrot. Full of curiosity, Maisie put her eye to the opening, and the strangest sight that she had ever seen met her gaze. She seemed to be looking through a telescope into a wonderful little valley. The trees there were brighter and greener than any that she had ever seen before and there were beautiful flowers quite different from the flowers that grew in her country. The little valley was carpeted with the most exquisite moss, and up and down it walked her tiny friend, busily engaged in spinning. She was not alone, for round her were a circle of other little old women, who were seated on large white stones, and they were all spinning away as fast as they could. Occasionally one would look up, and then Maisie saw that they all seemed to have the same long, thick lips that her friend had. She really felt very sorry, as they all looked exceedingly kind, and might have been pretty had it not been for this defect. One of the spinstresses sat by herself, and was engaged in winding the thread which the others had spun into hanks. Maisie did not think that this little lady looked so nice as the others. She was dressed entirely in grey, and had a big hook nose, and great horn spectacles. She seemed to be called Slatly Mab, for Maisie heard Habitrot address her by that name, telling her to make haste and tie up all the thread, for it was getting late, and it was time that the young girl had it to carry home to her mother. Maisie did not quite know what to do, or how she was to get the thread, for she did not like to shout down the hole in case the queer little old woman should be angry at being watched. However, Habitrot, as she called herself, suddenly appeared on the path beside her with the hanks of thread in her hand. "'Oh, thank you, thank you,' cried Maisie. "'What can I do to show you how thankful I am?' "'Nothing,' answered the fairy, "'for I do not work for reward. Only do not tell your mother who spanned the thread for thee.' It was now late and Maisie lost no time in running home with the precious thread upon her shoulder. When she walked into the kitchen she found that her mother had gone to bed. She seemed to have had a busy day, for there, hanging up in the wide chimney, in order to dry, were seven large black puddings. The fire was low, but bright and clear, and the sight of it and the sight of the puddings suggested to Maisie that she was very hungry, and that fried black puddings were very good. Flinging the thread down on the table, she hastily pulled off her shoes, so as not to make a noise and awake her mother, 
and getting down the frying pan from the wall, she took one of the black puddings from the chimney and fried it and ate it. Still she felt hungry, so she took another and then another, so they were all gone. Then she crept upstairs to her little bed and fell fast asleep. Next morning her mother came downstairs before Maisie was awake. In fact, she had not been able to sleep much for thinking of her daughter's careless ways, and had been sorrowfully making up her mind that she must lose no time in speaking to the abbess of St. Mary's about this idle girl of hers. What was her surprise to see on the table the seven beautiful hanks of thread, while on going to the chimney to take down a black pudding to fry for breakfast, she found that every one of them had been eaten. She did not know whether to laugh for joy that her daughter had been so industrious, or to cry for vexation because all her lovely black puddings, which she had expected would last for a week at least, were gone. My daughter's spun, sayin, 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 my daughter's eaten, sayin, 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 and all before daylight. Now I forgot to tell you that about half a mile from where the old farmhouse stood, there was a beautiful castle where a very rich young nobleman lived. He was both good and brave as well as rich, and all the mothers who had pretty daughters used to wish that he would come their way some day and fall in love with one of them. But he had never done so, and everyone said, He is too grand to marry any country girl. One day he will go away to London town and marry a duke's daughter. Well, this fine spring morning, it chanced that this young nobleman's favorite horse had lost a shoe, and he was so afraid that any of the grooms might ride it along the hard road, and not on the soft grass at the side, that he said he would take it to the smithy himself. So it happened that he was riding along by Maisie's garden gate, as her mother came into the garden singing these strange lines. He stopped his horse and said good-naturedly, "'Good day, madam.' And may I ask why you sing such a strange song? Maisie's mother made no answer, but turned and walked into the house, and the young nobleman, being very anxious to know what it all meant, hung his bridle over the garden gate and followed her. She pointed to the seven hanks of thread lying on the table and said, This hath my daughter done before breakfast. Then the young man asked to see the maiden who was so industrious and her mother went and pulled Maisie from behind the door, where she had hidden herself when the stranger came in, for she had come downstairs while her mother was in the garden. She looked so lovely in her fresh morning gown of blue gingham, with her auburn hair curling softly round her brow, and her face all over blushes at the sight of such a gallant young man, that he quite lost his heart and fell in love with her on the spot. Ah, said he, my dear mother always told me to try and find a wife who was both pretty and useful, and I have succeeded beyond my expectations. Do not let our marriage, I pray thee, good dame, be too long deferred. Maisie's mother was overjoyed, as you may imagine, at this piece of unexpected good fortune, and busied herself in getting everything ready for the wedding, but Maisie herself was a little perplexed. She was afraid that she would be expected to spin a great deal when she was married and lived at the castle, and if that were so, her husband was sure to find out that she was not really such a good spinstress as he thought she was. 
in her trouble she went down the night before her wedding to the great boulder by the stream in the glen and climbing up on it she laid her head against the stone and called softly down the hole habitrat dear habitrat the little old woman soon appeared and with twinkling eyes asked her what was troubling her so much just when she should have been so happy and maisie told her trouble not thy pretty head about that answered the fairy but come here with thy bridegroom next week when the moon is full and i warrant that he will never ask thee to sit at a spinning wheel again accordingly after all the wedding festivities were over and the couple had settled down at the castle on the appointed evening maisie suggested to her husband that they should take a walk together in the moonlight she was very anxious to see what the little fairy would do to help her for that very day he had been showing her all over her new home and he had pointed out to her the beautiful new spinning-wheel made of ebony which had belonged to his mother saying proudly to-morrow little one i shall bring some lint from the town and then the maids will see what clever little fingers my wife has maisie had blushed as red as a rose as she bent over the lovely wheel and then felt quite sick as she wondered whatever she would do if habitrat did not help her so on this particular evening after they had walked in the garden she said that she should like to go down to the little dell and see how the stream looked by moonlight so to the dell they went as soon as they came to the boulder maisie put her head against it and whispered habitrat dear habitrat and in an instant the little old woman appeared she bowed in a stately way as if they were both strangers to her and said welcome sir and madam to the spinster's dell and then she tapped on the root of a great oak tree with a tiny wand which she held in her hand and a green door which maisie never remembered having noticed before flew open and they followed the fairy through it into the other valley which maisie had seen through the hole in the great stone all the little old women were sitting on their white chucky stones busy at work only they seemed far uglier than they had seemed at first and maisie noticed that the reason for this was instead of wearing red skirts and white mutches as they had done before they now wore caps and dresses of dull grey and instead of looking happy they all seemed to be trying who could look most miserable and who could push out their long lips furthest as they wet their fingers to draw the thread from their distaffs save us and help us what a lot of hideous old witches exclaimed her husband whatever could this funny old woman mean by bringing a pretty child like thee to look at them thou wilt dream of them for a week and a day just look at their lips and pushing maisie behind him he went up to one of them and asked her what had made her mouth grow so ugly she tried to tell him but all the sound that he could hear was something that sounded like spin he asked another one and her answer sounded like this span he tried a third and hers sounded like spun he seized maisie by the hand and hurried her through the green door by my troth he said my mother's spinning wheel may turn to gold ere i let thee touch it if this is what spinning leads to rather than that thy pretty face should be spoilt the linen chests at the castle may get empty and remain so for ever 
So it came to pass that Maisie could be out of doors all day, wandering about with her husband, and laughing and singing to her heart's content. And whenever there was lint at the castle to be spun, it was carried down to the big boulder in the dell and left there, and Habitrot and her companions spun it, and there was no more trouble about the matter. End of chapter 11